Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome, world changers. Tonight, we're going to get into some very interesting discussion. Why were there so many thousand people that were uh, died in a plague when David did what he did? We're going to get we're going to get to the bottom of this. And so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. We got lots of different lessons that we can that uh, we can learn from this story. So we're going to read Second Samuel chapter 24 and First Chronicles 21 to 22, plus um, a few Psalms as well. And this is a very, very interesting story. So I'm going to get right into this. Um, let me just share my screen here. This is a uh, side-by-side comparison. For those of you who are on TikTok, I, I am live also on YouTube as well. You can check that over there. I can't share my screen on TikTok, but I am right now live on YouTube. Second uh, Samuel 24 on the left, First Chronicles chapter 21 on the right. Now it does, it is different. I'm not saying that it's contradictory, at least not in the beginning anyway. Uh, it is different. So let's just read verse 1 from Second Samuel 24 and verse 1 from First Chronicles 21. 2 Samuel 24 says, again, the anger, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, number Israel and Judah. So in the footnotes here, just so we get it here, take a census of, take a census of Israel and Judah. Skip on over here to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Again, super interesting here, right off the bat. You see it. Y'all see this. In 2 Samuel, does not mention Satan. It just says the anger of the Lord. 1 Chronicles 21 says Satan. What do we make of this? What do we make of this? It is quite clear here, at least uh, from the point of view of the author of First Chronicles, again, uh, First Chronicles is more or less a secondary text as compared to Second Samuel. But according to the author of First Chronicles, it is quite apparent that God uses Satan to execute his wrath. It's like Satan is an agent of God's wrath. Now, why was God angry with Israel? Um, in doing a little bit of preparation for this, checking out some of the other commentaries and such, sometimes I delve into the Jewish commentaries. It's very interesting that Rashi, by the way, he plainly come, come, comes right out and says, I don't know what Israel did. What did Israel do um, that warranted this? Um, however, we see, as we dig a little bit deeper here, what why the Lord was angry to the point of sending a plague. Okay. Um, so let's, let's take it one step at a time. Verse one, we see it very clear that the Lord used Satan to execute his wrath upon Israel. Okay. Let's just get, get that out of the way before we continue. Moving on, verse 2 of 2 Samuel 24. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, 
Go now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. I want you to take very close notice that this is all that was required. This is all that uh, David commanded Joab to do. I'll get back to that point in, in, a, in a little bit, but it's very important to understand this. There's no other commands, just that command. Just count the people, okay? Uh, going over here to First uh, Chronicles 21, verse 2. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Okay, back over here to 2 Samuel 24. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. Apparently, apparently right off the bat, let me just say this. Apparently right off the bat, Joab didn't seem to think there was that many. He seemed, he seemed by the way he answered King David, he did not seem to believe that there was, a, there was enough. Uh, otherwise, why would he? Why would he say this? May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. Very interesting. And may the eyes of my Lord the King see it. But why does my Lord the King desire this thing? Okay. Now again, let me just take it, take it one step at a time. First Chronicles twenty one. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then does my lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Hmm. Joab knew something here that is not explicit in the text. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Very, very interesting. I think every... Bible-loving or Scripture-loving believers should understand the concepts behind this story. So, First Chronicles 21, we do have a little bit more information here. Uh, it says, uh, are they not all my Lord's servants? That's not in Second Samuel 24. Also, the question, why should he... he um, the king, um, King David, be a cause of guilt in Israel. So again, we have um, we have a hint here. Something's going on. Joab or Joab knew that it was something was not right. Moving on, Second Samuel twenty four. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. Comparing that with First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 4, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Okay, so again, there extra, extra, we have extra um, uh, details here. Came to Jerusalem. Verse 5 of 2 Samuel 24, And they crossed over the Jordan and camped at Aror, on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Gazer, or excuse me, Yazer. 
Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatim, Hodshi. They came to Dan, Yon, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through, through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of, of nine months and 20 days. Okay, let me just stop there and we'll compare that with... Um, First Chronicles 21, verse 5, Then Yoav gave the sum of the number of the people to David, all Israel. Okay, so we see here that there were, kind of the opposite. We have Second Samuel giving a whole lot more details as opposed to First Chronicles. First Chronicles just jumps right to the, just jumps right to the point. Okay, so verse 9 of 2 Samuel 24, Then Yoav gave the sum of the number of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Over here in 1 Chronicles 21, um, all Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. Okay, so we got, uh, we've got we got a problem here, right? So we have uh, over here, over in 2 Samuel, the number, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword and 500,000 from Judah. Over here, 1,100,000 men who drew the sword and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. So, okay, so somebody might might say, okay, as far as Judah's concerned, somebody might argue 470,000 versus 500,000 men. I mean, you know, so 2 Samuel just rounded it up, which that could be the case. However, um, if that's the case, that should, tell us, uh, that should tell us something. We should learn a lesson from this, that these numbers are not always super, super accurate. These numbers are not always super, super ac accurate, as we have a difference here just with Judah alone. We have a difference of 30,000 men, 30,000 men difference. However, of course, Israel, the number of Israel here is a lot different as well. Um, so in 2 Samuel chapter 24, we have 800,000. Who drew the sword? And in First Chronicles twenty-one, we have one million one hundred thousand men who drew the sword. So that's a difference of three hundred thousand altogether between the two of them, and between the two books, we have a difference of three hundred and thirty thousand. That's that's a lot. Again, this is not just 
this is not just a difference. It is a difference, but it's not just a difference. It is a contradiction. It is a contradiction. <laughs> it is a contradiction. Okay, so, uh, and most, you know what? Uh, let me tell you something. Most Christians, by far most, if not almost all of them, do, never run across these, these contradictions because they never do what we're doing right now. They never put it up side by side. It's just like the Gospels. They never put the Gospels side by side. You put the Gospels side by side just like this, you see the difference. And sometimes there are differences and sometimes there are outright blatant contradictions, as we see here. Okay, so second Sam or second excuse me, first chronicles chapter 21, it says verse six, but he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was ab abominable to Joab. Okay, so that's not in Second Samuel 24 either. So having considered that, um it could just be that there was there's actually more that's not reported in in First Chronicles chapter 21 as opposed to less. If it was less then you, you might have a you might have a reason to say, well, it's not really a contradiction. It was just counted differently. No, 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 that's not the case. There's a contradiction here. Uh, and in such a case, for those of you who are new to this kind of thing, in such a case, you have to ask the question, what book has the most authority? And this concept is foreign to most people especially Christians, especially evangelical, you know, ultra, conservative Christians, because they believe every book is equal, the, you know, the whole entire Bible, every book of the Bible is equal to one another. And in, in many instances, they think that the letters of Paul are even more uh, authoritative than any other book of the Bible. And if they, even though they don't say that, they, in practice, is what they're saying. However, that's not the case. In all reality, each book has its own place on the hierarchy scale, okay? We have books that have more authority. We have books that have less authority. In this particular instance, we have um, 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings have more authority than 1 and 2 Chronicles. So generally speaking, let me just use that word, that term generally speaking, um, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, or no, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, excuse me, uh, is to be taken over 1 and 2 Chronicles. But that's not to say that there could be errors in 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, that, and it could be correct in 1 and 2 Chronicles. You know, I'm just saying. Um, we got to consider all, all points of view, right? We got to consider every possibility. I mean, it is possible if... If, what's, if what it says in 2 Samuel is correct, then 1 uh, Corinthians, or no, 1 Chronicles, excuse me, is uh, to be, um, to be, take, to take the back seat, that it's not correct. Um, however, but they can't be, they, they can't both of them uh, be correct at the same time. So let's uh, continue here. So, uh, 2 Samuel 24, verse 10, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Skip on over here to 1 Chronicles 21. 
And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this wrong thing, or I've done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. 2 Samuel 24, uh, verse 11. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer saying, go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. Okay, so before I go on here, let me just say this. Um, in First Chronicles chapter 21, if it's to be taken like uh, strictly chronologically, in other words, if if verse seven comes before verse eight in the chronological order, then it, according to First Chronicles twenty one, God struck Israel before David actually confessed his sin. Okay. However, in uh, on Second uh, Samuel twenty four. It's the other way around. First of all, David confessed his sin. Then God said, okay, I'm going to give you a choice. And then God took David's choice and, and executed it. Um, so uh, is this a contradiction? Depends on how you want to interpret this. Okay. Um, I do not believe, I do not think it's good to always interpret it chronologically. I mean, for example, in First Chronicles 21, it could be that uh, the author was just saying, "Okay, this is you know basically God and basically God and you know ended up uh, striking Israel uh, and and David you know David so David uh, said to God, I have uh, I've sinned greatly. Um, so he could be talking about the end, uh, the goal basically, and then he then he talks about the means uh, you know. Um, Whereas in 2 Samuel, we don't see that kind of thing. So is this a contradiction? It depends on how you interpret it. Maybe or maybe not. So let me see here. Um, First Chronicles 21, Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. Okay, so that's pretty much aligned with 2 Samuel 24, 12. Going back over here to 2 Samuel 24, verse 13 now. Um, so Gad came to David and told him and said to him, shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Now in the footnotes, um, with the Masoretic text, the Syrian, uh, the Targum, the Vulgate, and the Septuagint, it says three. So again, here is a definite contradiction amongst manuscripts. Uh, the, man, the Masoretic, the, Syria, the Syrian, uh, the Syriac, the Targum, and the Vulgate, and the Septuagint all say three. But here it says seven. So uh, shall seven or three years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? 
Now consider and see what answer I, I should take back to him who sent me. Okay, so over here in First Chronicles 21, then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I've offered you three, uh, three things. Choose one of them for yourself, and I may do it to you. So, so Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years, it says years here, okay? Now, in the footnotes, I'm pretty sure it would say seven, uh, according to Second Samuel. So apparently, um, let me just say this, apparently comparing all of the different manuscripts and the different books that we have, just what we've read so far, seems like the, the, correct, the correct number here would be three and not seven, as it says in 2 Samuel 24. So in this case, 2 Samuel 24 is incorrect if it says seven. Um, and 1 Chronicles chapter 21 is correct. Could have been a scribal error, could have been something happened down the line by someone. Um, so we need I, I mentioned earlier about the, the hierarchy of scripture. Now that is assuming that the scribes copied correctly. Okay. I'm talking about the hierarchy of scripture. The author of 2 Samuel has more authority than the author of 1 Chronicles. Um so let's get back to First Chronicles chapter 21. Thus says the Lord, either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else three days, the sword of the Lord, the plague of the land, the, uh, the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. So again, we got a lot more detail here than we do in 2 Samuel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And let me just say a little bit more about uh, my, uh, you know, I said that uh, in this particular manuscript, we have seven in 2 Samuel 24 and three in uh, 1 Chronicles 21. Now, normally I would say that 2 Samuel has more authority than, than 1 Chronicles. Therefore, seven would be the uh, the correct answer. But in this case, I would say First Chronicles is the correct number because we have all these other witnesses here. We have the Mesoretic, we have the Targum, we have the Vulgate, we have the Septuagint, we have the Syriac. They all said three. So we have a lot more witnesses against uh, against one, you know, including First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. So it appears it appears to me that three is is the correct. Um, the accurate number. And it also goes in line with everything else that's said here, three years versus, uh, you know, three years of famine versus three months to be defeated by your enemies versus three days uh, um, to, you know, have the sword of the Lord strike you. Uh, so it's much more consistent to have the word three in there. And again, so that's, that's really, um, I would say that's, that's the, the accurate translation. So back over to Second uh, Samuel twenty four, and David said to Gad, "I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man." Before I get too far here, uh, let me just let me just do this. Uh, I'll read this verse here. And let me explain uh, a little bit uh, of our trajectory throughout this evening. 
Um, so it's first Chronicles 21 and David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So David knew, David knew, and here is in the so-called, so-called age of the law, which there is no such thing. Well, I mean, from creation to the end, from the beginning to the end is the age of the law. Uh, I mean, there's, there is no such thing as age of the law in, in the sense of dispensationalism. Uh, but anyway, for those of you who uh, would uh, tend towards dispensationalism, I pray nobody does, but if you do, David here saw that the mercy of God, the grace of God, far exceeded that of man in the so-called age of the law. Um, so let me just let me just say this. I'm going to read um, the next few verses, and then we will talk about why God did this. There are two two things that we need to consider. Why did God do what He did? Why did He strike down seventy thousand men? Two two great points we want to make here. So we'll get to that in just a moment, and so. You know, th- basically, this should this should give us our answer. Okay, back to Second Samuel, chapter twenty four, verse fifteen. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba, seventy thousand men of the people died. And when the angel, okay, you know, before I go too far, let's compare that with First Chronicles. Uh, verse 14, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel and 70,000 men of Israel died. Verse 16 of 2 Samuel 24, and when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite, the Jebusite. Over here, First uh, Chronicles twenty-one. So the Lord sent a plague. Okay, and then verse fifteen is, uh, and God sent an angel to Jerusalem. Now again, who who's this angel? Who's this angel? We know that Satan's involved here. It says, according to First Chronicles uh, chapter twenty-one, verse one, you know, it says very clearly. Now Satan stood up against Israel, and we know in the book of Job that it's it's, it's Satan, it's the devil who um, who inflicts destruction upon man. So is this angel Satan or not? Just a question for you guys. Is this angel Satan or not? Uh, If it is, very interesting how he is called the angel of the Lord down here. Okay? Just just saying. I know that would really throw a lot of people off. But hey, uh, let's, let's read what it really says here. And let's really put two and two together. If this is not Satan, then Satan has got, it's another, it's another angel that's actually performing basically what satan would 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 perform basically um it's an adversary to say to say the least uh, so anyway and god sent an angel to jerusalem to destroy it who's the destroying angel and he's and he was just 
as he was destroying, excuse me, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. Okay. Again, this reminds me of the book of Job so much, right? It's like, Satan, you can only go so far. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the the uh, Jebusite, the Jebusite. Back over to 2 Samuel 24. By the way, guys, isn't this interesting? Isn't this just interesting? Absolutely just phenomenal. I mean, there's so much. We're, we're unpacking so much. Like, you know what? I mean, even if we just stop here, I mean, we have enough to meditate on for like a month, you know? I mean, there's so much to meditate on here, so much to learn from this. But there's more. There is more. Like I said, after I read the next few verses here, we're going to talk about why God did this. Again, there are two great reasons. Two great points here I want to make. Back on over to 2 Samuel 24. Um, Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. Okay, um, very interesting. Again, here here is another thing where it's like, um, I know. It, first of all, let me let me just read First um, Chronicles twenty one. I have another. I have something else here to comment on this, and it's a very it's another very thought provoking thing. Let's get First uh, Chronicles twenty one out of the way. Verse sixteen. Then when David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven now that's we don't have that information in second samuel having in his hand a drawn sword stretched over jerusalem again we don't have all that information we don't have all those all that detail in second samuel so david and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces again there's more that's more information that we know and this is the reason why we should be reading um you see, Second and First Chronicles, back in its day, was almost like extra biblical documents, like a midrash of of the of the original um, pa- passage. Uh, and this is the reason why we should be reading the Apocrypha as well. It gives us a lot more detail into a lot more things. So we should be reading the Apocrypha and uh, and many of the other extra biblical books as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every single thing it says is, you know, you know, 100%. But there are a lot of details that we can learn from these kind of books. Absolutely. And there's there, I believe that for the most part, you know, these books have a lot of truth in them. Verse 17 of 1 Chronicles 21. And David said to God, was I not or was it not i who commanded the people to be numbered i am the one who who has sinned and done evil indeed but these sheep what have they done let your hand i pray o lord my god be against me and my father's house in other words my family uh and not against your people that you should that they should be plagued okay so here's 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 a, here's a thought it is very clear 
that one man is not to die for another man's sin. Okay? That's not to be confused with one man bearing the consequences of another man's sin, as in the story of David with his son. We have the baby that bore the consequences of David's sin. The baby didn't die for his sin in the sense that, you know, the, the, the baby or in this in this case, you know, the people uh, actually died for David's sin. That's not the case. It was more like the, uh, the people basically was, um, how would you put it? Like they were they were in the line. They were in the line of fire. I mean, uh, they, they bore the consequences of David's sin, did not pay for his sin in that sense of. You know, paying his debt, so to speak but rather bore the consequences of his sin. And that reminds me of a story. I told this story several times. I'll tell it again because I think it's very important. Um, this is the reason why we should be concerned about sin in our land, so to speak, sin in our countries. Because when God gets angry, look out, get out of the way. <laughs> Ask Ask uh, Noah, <laughs> ask Noah, ask the people in Noah's day, you know, uh, when God got angry, get out of the way. I mean, every woman, child, and elderly person apart from Noah's family died. Um, same with in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. I know we always say Sodom and Gomorrah, but we never say the surrounding cities, but the surrounding cities as well for the brunt of, of, of uh, God's anger. And that includes every woman, uh, every child, every elderly person. That includes everybody um, that just did not get out of God's way. Uh, so, uh, and that's kind of like the case right here with the seventy thousand. Now, that's not, um, that's not the explanation of what of really what happened or why God did what He did. We'll get to that. Um, so, we need to understand there is. Like, for example, if you have a parent that is very foolish and causes a, their child to be to be hurt or something like that, that child is not paying for the parent's sin. The parent won't pay. Okay. The parent will pay for it. But the child bears, like the, the child pays for it in a way too, but not really, not really pays for it. It's more like the child um, bears the consequences of having you know, being in that situation, unfortunately. So, and that's the case. Um, that's the case with many, you know, many things throughout, uh, throughout history. When God gets angry, you got to get out of the way. And let me tell you this story. Um, I was a wild and foolish teenager back in my days. And I was in, uh, I went to a, a dance hall. And it was it was a dance hall that was on the second floor of this um, uh, this venue, and in the second floor you have to go up the stairs, and then there was like a, a long hallway, and then finally at the end of the long hallway there was like a dance floor. The hallway was a probably I don't know was maybe a couple hundred feet long, like it was a long hallway. Um, yeah, one hundred fifty, maybe a couple hundred um, around there. It was a long hallway. And uh, as a teenager, again, I must have been like 16, 17 years old. And I was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't like, I wasn't like out with all the people, but I was standing like kind of in the hall. 
with some of my other friends and I was just kind of standing with like, kind of like my back to the wall kind of thing. And it was, there was people, you know, doing the same kind of thing down the hallway. There was a few, you know, young people throughout the hallway. And one time, uh, uh, what happened was, um, the doors, the doors flew open down the hallway you know, where the stairs is, the stairs comes up and go, the doors flew open and, it, and in comes this guy. I don't know what he was on and I don't know what his problem was. I have no clue whatsoever. All I know is that he was in a rage. Okay. He was in a rage of anger, a fit of anger. Uh, and, and he went down the hall and he punched everybody in the face punched everybody in the face. Even me, he punched me in the face too. Give me a black eye. I don't know what his problem was. And I don't take it personal because he did it to everybody down the hall. I don't know what happened once he got to the uh, dance floor because I, I, after he punched me, I don't know. I forget now if I just took off whatever it did. I don't know what happened, but, uh, um, but I got in his way. I got in his way. And this is the thing. When God gets angry, get out of God's way. Get out of God's way. Get out of his way. This is the reason why we want our communities to be sin-free. Amen? We want our communities to be sin-free. If the people of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah and the people of Noah's day and the people of Pompeii, uh, I know Pompeii is like after the biblical days, a little bit, slightly after the biblical days, but yet I do believe that was God's wrath as well for the same reason of that he did it in Sodom and Gomorrah. But they, if there were people in those communities and those cities that really influenced the people into righteousness and holiness and repentance, then perhaps they could have saved the city. Now, David, again, in just a moment, we'll get to this. Uh, what David could have done to save the people, and he could have. We'll get to this in just a minute. Um, okay, so let's check this out. Second Samuel 24. Verse 18. Okay, then Gad came... Uh, that day to David and said, go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the, the Yebuzite. Excuse me. So David, according to the word of Gad, uh, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground then Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to, the, to his servant? Okay, so let's just, I'll save this here story for after we get to the, um, uh, the reason why God did what he did. Let's go to First uh, Chronicles 21, verse 18. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded God, Gad to say to David, that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing on the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. So David went up at at the word of Gad, 
which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and when he went out from the threshing floor, bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me a place, the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. And you shall grant me, grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Okay. So obviously, you guys, you, you know, we, 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 again, we have uh, a difference of name here. We got Aruna. Uh, uh, as opposed to or not. Now, is it really a different name? Well, probably not. I mean, it's spelt different. It's pronounced different. It's the same person, obviously. It's the same person. So anyway, before we get too far here, let's, let's talk about why God did what he did. Uh, and also, I'd like to greet some of you guys. Uh, yeah, one John. Let's see what we got here. Uh, people don't understand that the tribulation is Satan's wrath and his harvest. Uh, God uses him. The, the true wrath comes with Yeshua. And yeah, it's quite clear in, uh, what is it, uh, Revelation chapter 9 and 12, I believe it is, that the, uh, maybe not, the, the tribulation, the, uh, the horrible things that will come upon the earth is um, God's, uh, God's way of uh, of trying to get people to repent and uh, and and atoning for their sin. Clutch says hello, everyone. Hello, Clutch. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you. Clutch says. Thank you for your prayers. I can't say everything is solved, but my attitude on it has improved. For I, uh, for that, I am grateful. Great. Awesome. Praise God. Vida says, Shalom, Elohim, bless you all. Shalom, Vida. Welcome. Good to see you. Elohim, bless you more. Fearfully Confident says, Shalom. Shalom, Fearfully Confident. Good to see you. Welcome, brother. Blessings, blessings. Um, Tammy says, Shalom all. Christopher, I just finished your six-hour-plus video. Outstanding. Wow. Uh, I, you know, you got to wonder how, like, how many people actually listen to the whole thing all the way through, and that's, that's, uh, that's amazing. Thank you very much. Tammy also said, I watched the seven-plus-hour video yesterday. Wow. says, I have some questions of your topic tonight. What would be the best way? Um, I mean, if you if you have time, uh, it depends on how much time you have there, Tammy. Um, we'll just quickly go through some of the scripture. I'll just open the floor up for any, any old questions. Um, we can do it that way, Tammy. All right. Awesome. Looking forward to your questions, Tammy. Uh, so 
So here's the thing. Why did God do that? Why did God do what he did to the people of Israel in David's day? So we can let me just let me just give you two points. And the second point is actually, I believe, the, the strongest point. The first point is this. Um, you can say this is a point. You can say that this is um, you can say this is uh, one of the reasons or a, a theory. Uh, again, the second point I think is stronger. Uh, however, not to say that the first point is incorrect, not to say that the first point is wrong. So the first point is this, that God did what he did to Israel because David trusted in quote-unquote flesh, if you want to put it in a, you know, talk like Paul. David David trusted in the flesh more than he trusted in God. Like He trusted in the numbers more than he trusted in God. Um, that's that's the basic of I'll show you some scriptures on that. And not explicitly saying that, but basically saying that it's, it's numbers that don't count. It's the strength. It's not the strength of man that counts, but rather it's the strength of God or the mercy of God and that counts. Um, so let me just share this. Um, okay. So going off of point number one, that David, that that really got, got made God angry is, is that David trusted in the numbers, trusted in the strength of man as opposed to the strength of God. He trusted in what he had as opposed to the mercy of God upon him that would give him the victory no matter what. Okay, so let me start out with Romans chapter 9, verse 16, right there at the top. Uh, so then it is not of him who wills, in other words, it has nothing to do with your willpower, nor of him who runs, in other words, it has nothing to do with your aptitude, your abilities, your talents, but of God who shows mercy. Zechariah chapter 4, uh, our lovely charismatic brothers and sisters know this very well. Uh, uh, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What does this mean? Not by might. In other words, not by the, the strength of man. Not by the power of man, but by the spirit of God. Okay. Um, we have Hosea chapter 1, verse 7. Yet I will show love to Judah I will save them, and I will save them not by bow, in other words, not by man's strength again, um, sword or battle, or by horses and horsemen. In other words, it has nothing to do with how many, you know, the strength or the number of your horses and horsemen, but I, their, the Lord their God, will save them. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 33, no king is saved. No king is saved by the size of his army. Remember, let me just um, go up here quickly. Uh, 
Okay, so on um, this would be uh, just give me a second here. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that you have here in the Psalms, typically attributed to David, David himself saying no king is saved by the size of his army, nor no warrior escapes by his strength, his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope is in his hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine we wait in hope for the lord for he is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name may your unfailing love be with us lord even as we put our hope in you and finally psalm 44 it was not by the, their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm, in other words, their power, bring them victory, but it was your right hand, speaking of God, your arm, God's power, and the light of your face, for you loved them. Amen. So that's, um, that's the one theory, that God was angry with David because it seems like David was concerned about the numbers instead of really trusting God. Now, the second theory, I believe is stronger than the first theory. And so this is the thing. The second theory goes like this. Let me just pull this up. I'll show you guys. This is the Torah, right? This is the commands of God. Never forget, whenever, whenever something wrong happen whenever something goes wrong it's always because of a violation of the torah it's always because of the transgression of the torah without fail remember over and over again god said this is my law this is my torah for you why not just to show you that you're a sinner but so that it will go well with you now that obviously implies if something's not going well with you it could be, very well could be, that you are not in line with the Torah. Okay? Whenever you transgress the Torah, that's what gives place for the devil. Obviously, what happened uh, in the um, passages that we just read with David and Israel and Judah and the 70,000 men who died, the devil had legal ground there okay uh satan uh it, satan was behind it according to first chronicles so if satan was behind it the question is what command did did david transgress what command did david break and i think this could very well be our answer exodus chapter 30 verse 11 the lord also spoke to moses saying when you take a census of the sons of Israel to count them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you count them, so that there will be no plague among them when you count them. 
Okay. And so this is what everyone who is counted shall give. Okay. So they shall give this uh, give shekel. Basically, it's a, it's a monetary offering to the Lord uh, to make atonement for them. So remember what I said in the very beginning when David said to Yoab, um, go and count, go and, go and take a census. And Yoab's like, oh, why should we, you know, why should uh, you bring guilt uh, upon? And, and so he knew something that is not explicitly spelt out for us in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Very well could be that he knew what was missing. He knew that David, King David, ordered him to take a census without making a ransom for the people. And that was the problem. Remember I said earlier, I said, notice what notice when King David gave Joab the command, notice what he said. Notice what he didn't say. Now, he just said, just count the people. He did not give the command to give a to take a ransom, um, you know, to give a ransom for for each one that you counted, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so, the second theory is that God. Well, first of all, Satan. Satan, uh, how is it put now in, in First Chronicles? Satan um, stood up against Israel or incited Israel. Uh, actually, I guess you could say that Satan, Satan incited David. So it was like Satan incited David to take a census, excuse me, to take a census without making a ransom, without the atonement. And so... Because of that, we have, um, you know, the enemy, the angel, uh, had legal right to do what he did to the 70,000 men. So if David would have made a ransom for each one of those 70,000, then they would not have died. I think that that's a very strong case, even, more, even stronger than the first theory that I uh, presented. And just checking your comments here. Hawks says, Shalom, Shalom Hawks, good to see you. Gina says, Shalom, blessings and a true blessing to keep washing and growing in the word here with you all. Uh, that was a great six hour. Hope Dr. Snyder feels better. Yes. Um, by the way, uh, I did yesterday. I said that uh, this coming Saturday, I'll, you know, Doctor Snyder invited him to go over to his channel and to uh, and to share uh, uh, to speak for his Shabbat service. However, he just he contacted me uh, after the fact, and he, well, he contacted me and he said that basically that. There has been a double booking and I'll have to, it won't be, it won't be this Saturday. It will be the 30th. So my apologies. Um, and, uh, Dr. Snyder also apologize as well. Uh, no problem there. So I just want to make sure that you guys know that it won't be this Saturday that I'll be on with Dr. Snyder on, and you know, on his, on his, uh, Shabbat service, 
but rather the 30th. That'd be Saturday, April 30th. And so that's pretty much confirmed. And uh, I will be, um, yeah, so I, I will be speaking there for his Shabbat service. All right, let me see what we got here. And shalom and welcome, by the way, Gina, good to see you. Welcome, welcome, blessings multiplied to you. Sergeant R as well. Sergeant R, good to see you. Good to see you, brother. Welcome. Fearfully Confident says, do you feel the order of the books was done on purpose so that Psalms and Proverbs is in the middle when it should be after the prophets? Very good question. Because uh, we got two different orders, right? We got the order of um, uh, the book. I'll just pull it up here. The order of... Um, The order of the books in the Tanakh, i.e., you would say the Jewish Bible, is not the same order as the quote-unquote Christian Bible. I know that First and Second Chronicles is actually at the end, pretty much. It's a very good question, uh, fearfully confident, because I believe you're talking about like the, the the order of the original, like the Hebrew Bible or the Jewish Bible, has Psalms and Proverbs after the prophets and that's because of the again the hierarchy of scripture right we got the tanakh the tnk the t at the top torah the highest authority again that's the that's the, that's what jesus used uh that's what yeshua used when he was you know dealing with the devil uh the nevi'im the prophets was under that um and the ketavim was the last or the the lowest of the authority and the book of psalms is in the ketavim yeah, so Fearfully Confident says, yes, it seems the Christian religion changed it on purpose. Yeah, I, I'm not, I, I can't speak to the, uh, to the uh, you know, evidence as far as, as to what, in, what was on the minds of those who actually put it in the order that they put it in. Uh, however, yeah, it, does, it wouldn't make a whole lot more sense, a lot more orderly to say that, uh, you know, to do it as the original Tanakh would, would, would have it, right? The Torah would be first, the, the prophets after that, and then the Ketavim after that, which would include like, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, uh, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. Yeah, very good question. It does. It seems like yeah, because a lot of Christians they don't they they miss the whole I, they miss the whole the whole um, concept of the hierarchy of Scripture and and the order of uh, like what books have more authority than the others. Zooming in a little bit more here. Let me share this. This is the 24 books of the Tanakh in order. Uh, the first, of course, the law is the Torah uh, on top, the five books of Moses. Under that is Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, and then the 12 minor prophets after all that. Uh, and then at the end, we have Psalms, Proverbs, Job, and all of these other Bibles. These are, I mean, other books, excuse me. These are the books of the Ketavim, which uh, simply means writings or 
scriptures. You can say scriptures as well. Um, and so it's in that order. We see that Samuel uh, and Kings has more authority than Chronicles, which is actually on the bottom here of this list. So, yeah, very good point there. Uh, fearfully confident. Very good point. Trish says, Shalom, Pastor Enoch. I had a terrible dream last night, and I'm wondering if you can tell me what a marine spirit is. I know it's off topic, but I can't, but I am crying terribly right now. Holy Spirit showed me. You know, I I, I could not, I, I can't give you a, um, I could not tell you that. Um, what a marine spirit is. I could not tell you, you know, it depends on the, you know, the context and the, in the, uh, other details of the dream, but I, right off, right off hand, I'm, I'm sorry, Trish. I cannot, I could not tell you that. Trish says in the number seven, is it God or the occult? Um, well, the number seven is a very special number in the scriptures. Uh, it'd be very hard for me to say, you know, it's God's number. I think that anybody could use that number. However, it is a very special number in the scriptures, uh, meaning like the, uh, the number seven has a meaning of perfection and completeness, um, all encompassing. It's a very special number for sure. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Just been listening in. I'm on the road today. Shalom, Vinny. Great to see you. Welcome, brother. The Tower Time says, Shalom, all. Shalom, y'all. Shalom, the Tower Time. Good to see you, brother. Blessings multiplied to you. Says Tower Time says, bless you, sisters and brothers. Trish says, some websites say there are this, they are spirits still alive from great flood. Interesting, interesting take on it. I, I, I again, I, I'm, I cannot confirm that or deny that. Chris says, isn't Psalm 119 in the middle of the Bible? Yeah, more or less it is. Yes. And that is, of course, the, the longest chapter in the Bible and the chapter all about the Torah. Fearfully Confident says, is Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 5 referring to Yeshua when it says, the fear of the Father will be upon him. What does this mean? Um, yeah, I mean, it is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and following, and we have the sevenfold spirit, right? It's a sevenfold spirit as it talks about in Revelation. Um, uh, so we'll just, let's just skip on over there and take a peek at it. Of course, it would, you know. Would it apply to Yeshua? I, 
I believe it does apply to Yeshua, but does it apply, you know, exclusively, exclusively, excuse me, to Yeshua? That probably not. Um, okay. In this. Yeah, this is. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, it, it is. This I would say this. It, this applies exclusively exclusively to Yeshua. Sorry, uh, I would say this. This is Isaiah chapter eleven, uh, verse one. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. So again, this is like the um, son of David, so to speak. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's one. The spirit of wisdom, that's two. Understanding, that's three. The spirit of counsel, that's four. Strength, that's might. The spirit of the knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is seven. Yes, so, um, so what, would, what would it mean that the fear of the Father would be upon him? Um, so basically, just like the fear of the Lord, for lack of a better way of putting it, the fear of the Lord um, Yeah, fearfully confident says I wasn't sure if it was him alone. Yeah, the way it's the way it's put here because initially I thought it was just like, uh, just in my mind I thought it could be like a generic. I, I know what it said, but I, the fact that it says him and it, and it specifies the shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse branch. This is very specifically for for one particular person. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So it's talking about the fear of the Lord. Um, for those of you who wonder what the fear of the Lord is, for in, in a nutshell, is basically the fear of the Lord is to be more concerned about is is to be concerned about your position with God. I mean, to put it very simply, to be concerned about your position with God. So, fearfully confident says, shoot from the stem of Jesse. Uh, that's Second Samuel seven, isn't it? Uh, let me see here. Second Samuel seven. Uh, do you have a specific verse? Second Samuel seven. Do you have a specific verse talking about this shoot from the stem of Jesse? Now, Second uh, Samuel chapter seven is the like da Nathan's prophecy over David about his descendants. Although it doesn't, you know, it doesn't specifically say um, shoot from the stem of Jesse. Um, but again, this is you know speaking of Yeshua. I do, I do believe this is speaking of Yeshua as well. I will raise up your descendant, the last part of verse 12, your descendant. That's, this is the son of David. Actually, for those of you who are wondering, this is the first um, in, the, in the scriptures where it actually brings out this whole idea of the son of David. And this is why they call Yeshua the son of David. And this is why they call the Messiah. They say the Messiah is the son of David, all based upon this prophecy right here. Uh, basically, uh, Nathan prophesied over King David, saying, when your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, after you pass away, sometime after you're gone, David, uh, I, will I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. So that's the son of David. 
Uh, he shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, obviously, we know that this is not fulfilled in Solomon. Some people might say, well, that's Solomon who built a house. No, well, I mean, Solomon built a physical house, but I mean, we got uh, Yeshua who built a, uh, a house as in uh, us, right? We are the house. We are his temple. Verse 14, I will be a father to him. So that's again, um, Yeshua is speaking about, uh, about God, calling God his father, and he will be a son to me. This, you know, behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, says God. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the strokes of mankind in which Yeshua, that happened to Yeshua. But my favor shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul when I removed when I removed whom I removed from you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. All right. So, and that's that's a different. Um, yeah, that's that's coming at it from a different angle. But you know, yeah. Um, That would be the same person, the descendant of David, the shoot of the stem of Jesse. Yes. Yes, fearfully confident says, I see where it says he, when he does wrong. Yes, absolutely. Christians like to, like to skip that over. Okay, let's continue with our scripture reading here. We got a little bit more to go, and then we will um, read the Psalms. And and Tammy, I was just I was just wondering, Tammy, if you're still there, and I'll get to your questions. Um, we'll just read a few more of these verses here. Get into this, a few of the Psalms, and then we'll take questions. Okay, so this is Second Samuel. Oh, not excuse me, that's not the right one. Um, here it is, right here, Second Samuel chapter twenty-four. Let's go back to twenty here, where it says, "Now Arona, Aruna looked and saw the king." and his servants coming toward him. So Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Okay, so over here in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 21, so David came to Ornon. Again, this is the same, this is this is Aruna, just a different, <laughs> different spelling and, and pronunciation. Ornon, and Ornon looked and saw David, and when he came out, from the threshing floor, excuse me, the threshing floor, he bowed before David with his face to the ground. Okay, um, over here to Second Samuel twenty-four, verse twenty-one, and Aruna said, "Why has my lord the king come to his servant?" And David said, "To buy the threshing the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people." Um, over here in First Chronicles twenty one twenty two, then David said to Ornan, "Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price 
that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Again, we got a lot more detail there than we do in 2 Samuel. Back over to 2 Samuel 24. Now, Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt offering or burnt sacrifice and and threshing implements and the yokes of oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Over here, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 23. But Ornan said to David, take it to yourself. Let my Lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Okay, 2 Samuel 24, 24. Then the king said to Aruna, no. I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that thing, with that that which costs me nothing. See, you know, the sacrifice a sacrifice is actually supposed to be a sacrifice. Supposed to supposed to be costly. Supposed to be something that you have to actually sacrifice. First Chronicles 21, 24. Then the then King David said to Ornon, No, I will, or excuse me, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. Second Samuel 24, the last part of 24. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Over here, 1 Chronicles 21. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. Okay, so again, we have something that is... um, it's an apparent contradiction here. We have on Second Samuel twenty-four, it cost uh, fifty shekels of silver, whereas in First Chronicles twenty-one, it's six hundred shekels of gold. Second Samuel twenty-four, and David built an altar there. Excuse me, and David built there an altar to the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord. He did the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. First Chronicles 21, 26. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And he answered him from, from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. See, again, lots more, lots more detail here. Answered by fire. This is like... Uh, Elijah, this is like um, also, um, what was it, Solomon? No. Um, Let me think now. Moses in Leviticus, when the fire of the Lord came and burnt the uh, sacrifice. Second, uh, second, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 21, 27. 
So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to its sheath. Again, a lot more detail here. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Yebuzite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, were at that time at the high place in Gibeon. But David could not go could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Okay, so um, Psalm 30, let's pull it up here, Psalm 30. Psalm 30, uh, I have to switch this things around here. Okay. Psalm 30. A psalm, a song of, at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. I will exalt you, Lord, for you have lifted me up. And have not let my enemies rejoice over me. Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pits. Sing praise to the Lord, you got you his godly ones, and praise the mention of his holiness, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called, and to the Lord I pleaded for compassion. What gain is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it, de- will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing for me. You have untied my sackcloth and encircled me with joy that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I give thanks to you forever. Psalm 108. A song, a psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, God. I will sing. I will sing praises. Also with all my soul, or with my soul, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Again, the nations here is goy uh, in the Hebrew, meaning uh, Gentiles. For your mercy is great above the heavens and your truth reaches to the skies. Be exalted above the heavens, God, and may your glory be above all the earth. 
so that your beloved may be rescued. Save with your right hand and answer me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will triumph. I will divide up Shechem and measure out a valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. I will throw my, my sandal over Edom or Edom. I will, sh- I will shout aloud over Phil- Philistia. Who will bring me into the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? God, you or God, have you yourself not rejected us? And will you not go forth with our armies, God? Give us help against the enemy, for deliverance by man is worthless. Through God, we will do valiantly. And it is he who will trample down our enemies. Psalm 109. For the music director, a psalm of David. God of my praise, do not be silent, for they have opened a wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with the lying tongue. They have, sur- they, they have also surrounded me with words of hatred and have fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. But I am in prayer. So they have repaid me evil for good and hated in, in hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked person over him and may an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, may he come out guilty and may his prayer become, become sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. Now again, uh, this, I, I do believe this is, you know, this is the word of God. This is Yeshua speaking in the first person. And again, this is talking about um, Judas. May an accuser stand in his right hand. Now, I'm pretty sure I haven't, I, uh, probably the footnotes here talks about the, like a de- the devil or the adversary. Yeah, right here. Adversary, Satan. Okay. So, like, you know, Jesus basically prayed that Satan would stand at the right hand of Judas. And this makes sense. I mean, Jesus said himself in the Gospels, he said to Judas, basically, it's better that you would not have, you would not have even been born. I mean, that's the, can you, is there any word, is there any more, like, what, what more could you say? What worse thing could you say about somebody? Yeshua was certainly not nice to Judas, telling him that it would have been better that he would not even he would not have even been born in the Gospels. And here, I believe this is Yeshua praying, may the may and may Satan stand at his right hand. Remember, Yeshua even said that he is a devil in the Gospels. And when he is judged, may he be may he, may he come out guilty, and may his prayer become sin. May his days be few. Well, his days was few. And may another take his office. Yes, Matthias did take his office. And may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Well, yes, that's what happened. May his children wander about and beg. Now, we don't have those details in the Gospels, but 
interesting. And may they seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. And you see, this is a, this is a, this is a powerful curse. And by the way, for those of you who might not very might might not be comfortable with what I'm saying, I mean, it is very. Um, very clear, I believe it's in the book of Acts, that this is talking about Judas. Verse 11, may the creditor seize everything that he has and may strangers plunder the product of his labor. May there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a curse. Verse 13, may his descendants be eliminated May their name be wiped out in a in a fall in following generation. May the guilt of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and do not let the sin of his mother be wiped out. May they be before the Lord continually, so that he may eliminate their memory from the earth. Because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the afflicted and needy person, the despondent in, in heart, to put them to put them to death. That word "them," by the way, is in italics, which tells you it's not in the original. So, the despondent in heart to put him to death. I would say that's better to say him there. Speaking of Yeshua, he also loved cursing, so it came to him. And he did not delight in blessing, so it was far from him. But he clothed himself with cursing as, in, as his garment, and it entered his body like water, like oil in his, into his bones. May it be to him as a garment with which he covers himself, and as a belt which he constantly wears around himself. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, and those who speak evil against my soul. But you, God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for the sake of your name, because your mercy is good. Rescue me, for I am afflicted and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am passing like a shadow when, when it lengthens. I am shaken off like the locust. My knees are weak from fasting. My flesh has grown lean without fatness. I also have become a disgrace to them. When they see me, they shake their head. And this is what happened on the cross, right? When Yeshua was on the cross, they wagged their heads at him, as it says in, in the other part of Scripture. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your mercy. And may they know that this is your hand. You, Lord, have done it. They will curse, but you bless. When they arise, they will be ashamed, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. Well, yes, Judas is clothed with dishonor. And may they cover themselves with their own shame as with a robe. With my mouth, I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord, and I will praise him in the midst of many. Again, this, this is the hope of resurrection here. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who judge his soul. Psalm 110. Psalm of David, the Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch out your strong scepter from, from Zion, from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, your, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, or Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen and amen. Powerful, powerful readings. Powerful, powerful readings. And thank you very much over there on TikTok for the roses. I appreciate that. Emmanuel says, great. I love that. Yes, and thank you, Emmanuel. Says, yes, Moses. All right, so let me see what we have here on YouTube. By the way, for those of you who are on TikTok and also no, we we are also on Podbean as well, live. Um, I'm also live on YouTube as well. And Will Sr. says, Shalom, everyone. Listening on my way home from work is always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure having you, Will, and blessings multiplied to you and yours. Welcome. Abril says, Shalom. Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Abril. Good to see you. Blessings multiplied to you. Mark says, Shalom. Okay, so uh, before I get too far here, Tammy, you had a question earlier. I was wondering if you're still there, if you, uh, if you wouldn't mind um, putting, dropping that question in the live chat. Shalom, Mark. Great to see you. Blessings, blessings. The Great Deception says, Question that came to me, could it be 600 shekels of gold and 50 shekels of silver? Yeah, well, um, this is a, a um, you know, completely different books, but completely, completely different authors written at two different times with two different levels of two different tiers of the Tanakh. So, I mean, they're not really met, meant to be combined together. Um, so like, for example, if I said, I, I, you know, I went to the store and I bought a, you know, I bought a, uh, a computer for a thousand dollars and somebody else said, uh, somebody else said I was with Christopher and, uh, and, and he paid $600 for that computer. So, I mean, if you really want to bend one to the other and you really want to make them make you can say, well, maybe it's $1,600. Maybe Chris is right and the other guy's right. But the way it's presented is one guy says one thing and the other guy says another thing. Uh, and this is, this is where, you know, I've said this, uh, I said this frequently that there are lots of contradictions like this throughout first and second Samuel and for, you know, comparing first and second Samuel, first and second Kings with first and second Chronicles. There are, there are lots of things like this. 
just like amongst the, the gospels as well. Um, and everything can be reconciled. You can reconcile anything. And I'm not saying you're doing this, um, the great deception. I'm not saying you're doing this, but people do this because they do whatever they, they, they bend over backwards and then some to, to prove that two different authors wrote two different books at two different times, yet they're both right. <laughs> one, it's like one guy said, there was one car at the intersection and that was a blue car. The other guy says, there was one car at the, at the intersection that was a red car. That's a contradiction. To me, that's a contradiction. Um, but I mean, people can reconcile anything. I mean, they, they can, not that it's true, but they can reconcile. They can say, well, there was a red car and a blue car. <laughs> but the guy said there's only there's only this there's only red car. The other guy said there's only blue car. Uh, so I take it for what it what it says. I take it as a contradiction myself, and you know I'm comfortable. I am comfortable with that. Um, I, I don't see any room in Second Samuel for an addition. I don't see any room in First Chronicles for an addition. Davy says Shalom all. By the way, that's a great question. There, great deception. Great deception has a great question. Davy says, Shalom all. Shalom, Davy. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, Tammy says, it's off tonight's topic. It's a couple things. It changed my words. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. That's okay. You can ask. Um, I mean, there are a few, there, uh, you know, if it's if it's a simple question, I can give you the answer. Uh, if it, some, ans some questions are, you know, like, there's a lot of thing, there's a lot involved with some questions, but I'll do my best to answer. If it's if it's uh, if it's very complex, then um, I'll either answer you now or I will uh, refer you to another video or something that I did that would give you the answer. I'll do my best. Put it that way, Tammy. Will says thank you for all that reading to us. The way you do, brother. Sometimes I struggle to stay awake. But when you read, I never fall. I never fall asleep, my man. Thank you. Thank you very much, Will. I appreciate it. Will says I learned a lot here, and I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate your questions and your comments. Great deception says thank you. Good answer, by the way. And again, thank you again for the question. Yeah, I mean, for those of you, I, you know, you you guys know me, but I mean. For new newbies that are listening, maybe on a different platform or, or you know whatever. Um, I it's my goal to take the most objective point of view to really look at it objectively and not try to make it say. There's so much of this going on, right? There's so many people trying to make things say things that it's not saying, you know. And I don't I don't want to do that. I want to I don't want to say what well, says this and and just like insert words and insert verses or <laughs> part verses. We want to just take it for what it is, and um, yeah, and and uh, the, uh, the question we should be asking ourselves all the time is, what did this mean to this author at the time that it was written? All right, so. Um, 
Tammy says, okay, I've been studying Genesis. I, I'm seeing two accounts of Adam and Eve, six day created Adam and Eve. I believe I know what you're getting at before you even get there. Um, so when it comes to Genesis, this is how I read it. Um, yeah, then, and then Adam, Adam in the garden and no Eve. Yeah. So this is the thing, right? Uh, and this is what I was just talking about earlier, actually earlier tonight when it comes to, uh, when it comes to like first Chronicles right off the bat in first Chronicles, it gave you like the, it gave you like the, the result first. And then it told, then it told you how it came about. Like, you know, the Lord struck Israel and then it told you how it come about. Like, uh, first Chronicles chapter 21, verse seven, if I can remember correctly, you know, the Lord struck Israel. Then it told you, then it told you how it came about. Whereas in second Samuel 24, it didn't, it didn't do that. And so I believe that's what's going on in Genesis. It gives you like a subtitle, like it gives you like a, a subtitle first, then it tells you how it come about, like Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Um, and again, I believe the King James Version and in, in, in that is is a very, is, it's a poor translation, I believe. Um, I, I like the um, the way the Safari actually translates it and in, in a, in a few other different translations as well. It's like Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, that's the subtitle. You know, in the beginning, God created heaven, the heavens and the earth. Okay, this is what happened. Just like First Chronicles 21, verse 7. Makes a statement first. Then it goes to explain how it happened. So Genesis 1, 1 makes the statement. Actually, uh, if I can show you, um, and, and in this instance, I trust, I really do trust the Jewish uh, scholars more than Christian scholars on this one because they spend a whole lot more time. I think that they are a little bit more knowledgeable of the Jewish scriptures and how it should be translated. Uh, no uh, offense to the Bible translators of today. Um, but this is from the Jewish Bible. Uh, it says... Genesis 1 1, when God, when God began to create heaven and earth, dash, okay, the earth was unformed and void. So it goes into explaining. It's like basically this is like the subtitle, right? This is like, okay, uh, when God began to, began to uh, create heaven and earth. So this is how it started out. Started out the earth, you know, God formed the earth and, you know, and eventually, you know, God worked on it until it was fully formed, until it had the land and had the animals, had the, had the humans, right? Uh, and then Genesis chapter two, it goes on to explain, um, zooms into Adam and Eve, right? So this is what we see. And I think it's, Tammy, I really believe that you, your question tonight, is of God, because out of all the nights that we talk about this, I'll tell you something, uh, Tammy. I'm I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. When I read First Chronicles chapter twenty one verse seven earlier on, I thought about Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two. I thought about Genesis chapter one and how Genesis does the same thing as the author of First Chronicles. You make the statement first. And then they then they unfold it. Okay, so they make a blanket statement. Genesis Genesis one one blanket statement. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or, according to the Jewish translation, when God began to create the heaven and the earth, okay, and then goes to explain how it happened. So, Genesis 1.1 is the general statement, like the big picture. And then the rest of the chapter is the details of the big picture. And then, um, Genesis chapter 2, it, it zooms into Adam and Eve. And then it, it, it unfolds that and unpacks that more. I, I personally do not take the point of view of, I know there's, uh, you know what, one of the first times I, w- I was actually, I actually attended a Christian um, Bible school. Uh, I heard the teaching of how they read so many billions of years in, in between, let's say, for example, in between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, you read billions of years into nothing? It doesn't even say that in there. It doesn't say that in there at all. Uh, that's, that's really, really adding a lot, like wedging a lot in between two verses. So again, to be as clear as possible here, Genesis 1-1, it gives you the big picture. The, then Genesis 1-2 through to the end of the chapter, it kind of zooms in and kind of, okay, this is how it happened. And then Genesis chapter 2, it zooms in even further. This is how, this is this zooming into the to Adam and Eve. So this is, this, uh, this is how the story of Adam and Eve happened. Um, you know, we see this throughout the scriptures, and this is one of the this is one of the arguments um, from um, the Christian world in regards to the Gospel of John, for example. Now, I'm not saying I'm not buying. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this, but I'm just, you know I'm just kind of laying this out on the table um, because the Gospel of John is in all out of order. That's why it's not synoptic. It's all out of order. And so a lot of people say, well, it's out of order because it's the style of writing back in those days. It wasn't written in order. It wasn't written to be a chronological book. And that is, as, as we saw here, uh, we see a little bit of an example here in First Chronicles. It's not strictly chronological. It's not like every verse is you know happens before the next verse it's not strictly chronological but rather sometimes there are verses that say okay this is what happened and then this is how it happened now zoom it in a little bit more genesis 1 1 this is what happened god created the heavens and the earth genesis 1 2 through the rest the rest is okay now let's zoom in to see the chronological events of how it happened and then Genesis chapter 2, we're going to zoom in even tighter into the story of Adam and Eve and how that happened. So that that's my take on it. That's how I that's how I read it. The Great Deception says, I really like your explanation of the fear of Yahweh or Yahuwah. Um let me just say, for those of you who are listening, I know we have some people, bless them, like Tammy, who listen to the whole, listen to hours worth, uh, hours upon hours. So for those of you who are listening, um, uh, let me just share one more thing. And I'm not sure, the great deception, if you're, if, you're, if you're referring to the explanation that I gave tonight or what I've given before. But, you know, 
I thought about this as much as a lot of other people say, how do you love God and fear him at the same time? Like, how does that work? And I believe that I believe God showed me. You know, I usually don't talk like this, but I do believe God showed me. Um, I was I was driving once on a uh, a very long, very high bridge. This particular bridge is known for high winds uh, sometimes and flipping transport trucks in the high winds. Um, so on this particular day, I was driving and I was just coming on. Like I, you know, it was, I was just coming and I was going, I was heading, I was on the highway and I was heading up to this bridge and I saw the sign, the warning sign, right? It says, warning, high winds. Well, of course, it's not really high winds on the ground, but once you get way up high there in the, on, the, on, on the bridge, yeah, so there's a warning there, high winds. So as I was going up, up, you know, I was going in the bridges, it's, it, it, it goes up, like there's, um, it increases in elevation, you're driving up, uphill first, till you get to the top, then you drive down. Um, as I was driving up, then I could feel the wind, you know, blowing hard and pushing my vehicle, pushing my car, right? Just pushing it. And I was kind of holding the, the, the uh, steering wheel tight. I was in the leftmost lane. True story. I was in the leftmost lane and there was a transport truck next to me. Now, there wasn't that many people on the bridge. The traffic wasn't very thick. But there's a transport truck next to me. And I saw that transport truck just swaying in the wind. And I'm thinking, oh, oh I better. I'm going sl- to I'm going to let that transport truck go ahead of me, okay? It's either cuz I was on the e- the tail end of it. So I thought it's either I speed up and go uh, go ahead of it so that it's behind me and I don't have to worry about it if it flips or I let it go ahead of me and I get I give it enough distance so that if it flips I'm I'm safe, right? So that's what I chose to do because I was around b- the rear end of it anyway. So I just slowed down and I let the thing go ahead, far enough ahead. And I saw it swaying in the wind, swinging. And I could feel the wind pushing pushing my car too as well. And it's it's like the, it, like I said, I usually don't speak like this, but it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the Lord showed me. It's like the Lord spoke to me. He said, you see, this is what it's like the fear of the Lord. Because what I was doing, I was driving. I was still in the left lane, and this truck was in the right lane, but it was far ahead of me. But I kept my eye on it, and I positioned myself. I positioned myself so that if that truck flipped, it wouldn't hurt me. So I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, this this is what it means to fear the Lord. You see... Chris, how you got, you keep your eye on that truck and you position yourself just right so that it doesn't flip on you. If it does flip, it's not going to hurt you. That's what it's like to fear. That is exactly what it means to fear the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on God so that if he does flip, if he does get angry, you're not in the way. You're you're out of the way. You're in the, you're in the right place. You're in the right position. You're not going to receive any of his anger. That's what it's like to fear and to keep your eyes on him. To always be concerned about what he thinks, what God thinks, what he's going to do next. That is what the fear of the Lord really is. 
And yes, you can fear the Lord like that and love him with all your heart at the same time because you can keep your eyes on him. You can keep a healthy fear of saying, you know what? I know my, I know, my, I know the sweet spot in the Lord. I know the sweet spot with God. And I know, you know, to be in the right spot where the, if, if the wrath of God, if God does break out, I'm going to be like Noah. I'm going to be in the ark. I'm going to be like Lot. I'm going to, I'm going to be gone. I'm split from the scene. Okay. But and at the same time, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and keep your eyes on him. Being more concerned about what God thinks about what you're doing and you, and you than what man thinks about you or what you think about you. <laughs> that's the fear of God. I, that's my, um, explanation as to what the fear of God is. The Davy says, uh, the word of God, the word is like a diamond. It has multiple fa facets of light, but one diamond. Yeah, it's very, very, uh, you can look at it from different ways. You can apply it to different levels. Yes. Tammy says, so each days were more than a day because it took Adam six days to name animals before Eve. Um, you know what will give you a whole lot more detail into that, Tammy? I'm not sure if you know, I'm not sure if you read this book or not, but uh, the book of Jubilees, and that's hard to see in, in the way it is uh, presented here, but you can get the Jubilee, the book of Jubilees in many different forms, many different translations. You can buy it from many different people, many different trans, you know, authors or whatever, but just the book of Jubilees, it's called the little Genesis, the, or it's also called the apocalypse of Moses. And it explains in detail, um, all of this stuff, like Adam and Eve, and all of his other children that we never hear about, like there is like several other children that he had, according to the book of Jubilees. By the way, this book, the book of Jubilees, is in the Bible of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. No small church, by the way, 50, 000, no, 50 million, 50 million members of the of the Ethiopian Tawahedo Orthodox Church. This book is in their Bible. This 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 book is scripture to them. Um and it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls as well, right alongside all the other books. Um, so I would, I would, you know, Tammy, if you have not read the Book of Jubilees, I would highly recommend. You can even get like lots of um, there's lots of different websites that you can download a PDF a PDF uh, form of uh, the book of Jubilees for free. So I would, I would highly recommend getting that. It tells you about the names, all the other names of Adam and Eve's other daughters and other sons and all that kind of thing and how it played out and how many, uh, how long it was before Eve was actually brought into the garden, you know, um, all the lot of details that the book of Genesis does not have highly recommended. Uh, excuse me there. I just, I'll get to you in a minute there, Will. Um, Caballero says, uh, definitely there's textual differences that people try to reconcile. For example, Jesus' robe color, Matthew 
27, 28, red, Mark 15, 17, purple, John 19, 2, purple. Yeah, um, there's lots of it, lots and lots of them. Um, way more than we can uh, point it, we can shake a stick at. There, there, there are lots of them. And you know what? To be honest with you, when I, I and I know, and I understand how people are, um, they try to reconcile it. And yeah, they try, they do everything they can. They say, well, it was red and it was purple. <laughs> well, it was a reddish purple. That's what it means, a reddish purple. Well, you look at the Greek words. Look at the Greek words. What did what did Matthew actually write? What did John actually use as a Greek word? Are they, are they the same Greek word? Um, yeah, there's lots of stuff like that. And I don't I don't really believe in trying to make it reconciled because there's no in really there's no motivation. Like why the only the only motivation to reconcile contradictions and differences and discrepancies is just to support Bible canon. I believe in every book of the Bible for what it is in its own place and its own authority for what it says about itself and for what the historical evidence tells us about that book. I believe it 100%. However, um, the Bible canon, I'm not into Bible canons. I don't believe God is into Bible canons. I don't believe God ever gave any man a Bible canon. It was, it's, it's man's doing. Uh, to say, well, this is 66 books here. Another one, you know, another church says ours is 74 books. You know, I mentioned earlier the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahedo Church says, uh, well, to them, they have 81, 81, 81 books in their Bible. Um, whatever the case is, I don't believe in, even if there is a Bible canon, let me, let me just put it this way. I have no problem with a Bible canon if you don't try to deify it or make it or try to claim that it's perfect. If you say, okay, here's a loose list of books that everyone should study and dig into and, you know, and research these books, awesome. Whether it's 66, 76, 81, 101, or 200, whatever it is. I know our brother uh, Onia there says that he believes that the Bible should have like 200 and some odd books in it. Um, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, the more, the better, right? you know, the more, the, the more information, the better. Uh, so, yeah, I think we should, we should be very educated. We should be very knowledgeable. Remember, Yeshua went around rebuking people for not being educated. Don't you know? Have you not read? You know, how many times did Yeshua say that to people? Hey, are you so dull? How, don't you know? Have you not read this? Have you not read that? He expects us to study. He expects us to be students of the word. And that's why we're doing what we're doing, right? This is why we're doing what we're doing every every day by the grace by the grace of God. We are studying the scriptures, and uh, we are uh, we are discussing, and we are learning. Right? If we don't learn, we don't grow. Learn and live, as my grandmother would say. Bible inspiration. Welcome over there on TikTok. Says, I think we, I think we fear him when we respect him, keep his teachings, and accept his correction. Yeah, it's, it's another way of looking at it. Nolan says, Are you a Christian? Depends on how you define the word Christian. Let me just say this. I'm just as much of a Christian as Yeshua was. I'm just as much of a Christian as Jesus was, as Peter, James, and John. 
and all the rest of the 12 disciples were. Let me just tell you that that's, that's how much of a Christian I am. Or at least that's my goal. Okay. And, uh, that's my goal. Anyway, that's, that's, that's where I, that's, I, uh, I fit myself in that, into, into their, uh, into their school. Let me put it that way. Nolan says, genuine question. The bread is God's flesh. So would that make us cannibals? You're making, you're making broad statements. And I would say, who says bread is God's flesh? Also, when you refer to God, use his real name, Yahweh. Well, you know, we apparently, uh, you know, I, I would I would highly recommend that you actually uh, listen to all the things that we've been reading for the past umpteen months, because we go through this all the time. OK, you read the scriptures. There are even tonight, tonight, for example, or uh, Ornon and um, um, uh, Arona. It's the same person in the same Tanakh, however, spelled different, pronounced different. Okay, so it's not, to spell a name different and pronounce it different, there's nothing wrong with that. Yahweh, as far as I recollect, is more of a transliteration from the Greek and not from the Hebrew. If you want to talk more Greek, then go with Yahweh. If you want to talk more like the ancient Hebrew, go with Yahuwah. If you want to talk more like a Jew, say Hashem. What like, to me, however you want to refer to him, I know I know who you're talking about, and that's the main thing. Will says. Am I understanding this correctly? Are we about 6,000 years old since the beginning of creation? Very good question, Will. Um, and this is debatable. I mean, this is, de this, is the hot this is a hotly debated subject because, you know, we've got, uh, well, you know, you know why. Right? This, this is a, hot, a hotly debated subject. And once again, I don't want to bend the scriptures to try to meet science. And I don't want to bend science to try to meet the scriptures. I want to take it for what it really says. I want to. I want to know what it really says. I don't want to try to reconcile the bo both of them if they're not if they're irreconcilable. Um. So, it's a it's a, it's a big question because, first of all, you say about only six thousand years old. So, okay, from from the account of. Adam and Eve till today, then the answer would be, okay, so uh, from the account of Adam and Eve to today, depending on which manuscript you go, because some manuscripts vary like thousands or hundreds of years, almost a thousand years, you're, you're about right, according to the scriptures. That doesn't mean that the creation, that the earth has been around only 6,000 years. It could mean that. However, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't conclusively mean that. And this is the reason why. Because a day, we got day one, day two, we got this you know, six days of creation. 
in Genesis chapter 1. So a day can be in any length of time. It can also be a 24-hour day. Don't get me wrong. I know some people some people jump in and you know, oh, a day is a day. A day is 20. But let me let me just let me just make some let me just make a point here. The sun which measured the days wasn't even around until what day 4 was it or day th- I think now. Um Yeah, day four. Yeah, day four. And so, first of all, there wasn't even a way of measuring the first three days. Right? So, all I'm saying is this. There's room for different interpretations. Okay? So, the first three days can be how a day can be a long time. As they say, a day is a thousand years. However, Sometimes we can't always take it mathematically, like super mathematically, like, you know what I mean? Like how we read our, our and this is a thing too, right? Second Samuel says, you know, there was, you know, um, 800,000, whereas uh, uh, First Chronicles with the same count was 1,100,000. My point is this, is that there's room for, th- there is room for <laughs> interpretation there's room for there's wiggle room there's buffering room here okay so a day can mean a thousand years so the first three days can mean three thousand years but the first three days can mean something else too because someone can argue well a day is as a thousand years as per 24 hour day is it is, is as a thousand years so the for the so the first day in Genesis, if it's not a 24-hour day, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it is or it's not. I'm just saying if it is not a 24-hour day, it could mean a thousand years. The first the first day could be a thousand years of days. Multiply that by a thousand years. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just it it's it's it it doesn't give us an exact number from the time that God actually created the earth till today. It all depends on how you interpret days in Genesis chapter 1, especially before the sun was created. Although, you can take that all the way through the chapter 2. You can apply the same thing. You can say, well, that day is a different day. It could mean a day of (laughs) 100,000 years. could be more than that. It could be a lot less than that. Um, It just, there's no, first of all, it's very clear in Genesis chapter 1, there's, there was no measurement before day 4. So, it could mean just a period of light and day. By the way, the, f- the first three days were, I guess, the first thing was, let there be light. And that light was not the light of the sun. The sun was not created in, first, in, in the first day. So again, that day, if that if a day is measured by a length of time that the light is visible, as it is usually, you know, as it is today, you know, a day is usually like, you know, from dawn to dusk is the day, and then from you know, from dusk till dawn is the night, right? So if if one day is the time is the the length of time from when the light is is you know begins to to shine till the to the end of that period, then we're not talking about the sun. 
So we're talking about a different light. So how long could that light have shone? How long could that light have shone forth? It doesn't tell us exactly how many years. Right? It could be thousands, could be, and I'm, I'm, I'm hate, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to say, but it, it could be a whole lot more than that. It could be exponentially more than that. Depends on how you want to interpret it. And I don't know if I would say that I've ever heard in, you know, a who can say for sure? Who can say for sure? Tammy says, why does the, gen the genealogy start with Seth and not with Cain and Abel? Um, well, like Cain was cursed, so that's, and he's not part of the genealogy anyway, so that's why it's not Cain. Abel was killed, so he doesn't have really a genealogy. Uh, Seth, it would have to start with Seth because the other two would be excluded anyway. And we know for sure that Seth was the son of Adam and Eve. So, um, yeah, so there's no use mentioning Adam and Eve in, 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 you know, in, in that way. If, uh, if that's the case, if it starts with, with Seth, that's what I would say. Question for Move says, how do I know I've not committed the unforgivable sin? Question two, thoughts on count. Okay, thoughts don't count, correct? Um, I mean, when it comes to thoughts, you're, you're splitting hairs. Like, do you entertain the thought? You know, is, is this something that you cherish or, you know, I mean, it's, um, this, is, this is a very uh, common question. And this is this this would be my answer to that. I think the proper the right attitude about this would be if I committed it, I'm going to serve and love God. If I haven't committed it, I'm going to serve and love God. If I've committed it, there's nothing I can do except serve and love God, warn other people from you know not to sin and serve and love God. And obey God. No matter what, no matter what you've done, doesn't it doesn't, I mean, it, it should not, it should not influence your trajectory in life. Um, and I understand, yeah, it's, it can be a thing that can really be a worry to you, whatever. I wouldn't worry about it. You know, Yeshua taught about, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. What, how would that change the fact if you did? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not even, I'm not even saying you did. I'm not, I'm not even hinting that you did. No, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just saying if you did, if you didn't, the best attitude should be, hey, whatever the case is, I'm going to serve, love, and obey God as much as I can. Because that's the whole duty of man right there. And let me just, let me just say this as well. Because this, this question is asked so often. Yet, in the entire scope of Scripture, how often did, did, did God actually warn us about this? Don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying the sin. 
Not down, not, I'm not downplaying it, you know, in any which way. However, my point is this. Why would people spend so much time dwelling on this concept when God didn't spend a whole lot of time warning people about it? In other words, in the entire scope of Scripture, let's just go with the Bible canon, for example, the, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. So we've got what? So um, approximately 1,500 years. So in 1,500 years, how many prophets, how many priests, how many men of God, how many patriarchs have actually warned people about this sin? And how many times were people actually warned about the sin? As far as I understand, only once. Reported to us through a few of the Gospels, but only once did Yeshua ever really nail his opponents with that. In fact, maybe he didn't even nail them per se, but at least warned them heavily about it. Um, so if it was something that God would want you to, you know, to put first to, to dwell on, it would be in every book of the Bible. And it's not. It's not. So my advice to you is don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just make sure you don't ever do it. You know, make sure from this time forward, make sure you don't ever do it. If, if, if you've done it in the past, um, you know, God is judge. Trust him. Serve him, love him, obey him, and do your best to to uh, to uh, encourage other people to do to do likewise. Thank you for your question. Question for move. Question for move says: Do you believe that Jubilees was written by Moses? Is a good is a is a really good possibility. It was. It does claim to be um, dictated by angels, uh, and apparently Paul the apostle thought it was true. I mean, he said in uh, um, Galatians, I believe it was, uh, that uh, the law was given by angels, and there's no other way. There's no other book that it says it doesn't say that in in the uh, you know in Exodus you know through in books of Moses it says that here. I guess you could say this book of Moses if if uh, if this is indeed a book of Moses. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of church fathers uh, have um, uh, you know believed and uh, you know accepted that book. As well as uh, a lot of believers, I believe I believe all of uh, the disciples of Yeshua accepted and believed that book. Vida Vida says um, Elohim is merciful. Yes, He is. Amen. He is very merciful. Very very merciful. Davy says different robe colors would mean two of them were colorblind. That's a good one, yeah. I like that a lot better than someone trying to uh, reconcile it. Tammy says, "Yes, I yeah, yes, I read it multiple times. Enoch and uh, um, Jasher and." Adam and Eve 1 and 2. Yes, very awesome books. Awesome, Tammy. Bible inspiration 
says on TikTok, I agree, God knows we are referring to him. Yeah. Whether you call whether whether you use the name Yahuwah, Yahweh, um, the Lord, or God, or any like Elohim. Uh I, I know um I understand people have their you know favorite ones to use. Um, but I think that God knows who you're talking to. It's like people when people when people call my name, right? You call me. People call me Chris, right? That's fine. I respond to Chris, you know. I like Christopher, but people call me Chris. So someone might say, well, Chris is not your name. Well, yeah, technically it's not my name, but I respond to Chris because I know I know who you're talking to. Someone call me, like some people with different uh, accents or different pronunciations, some people would call me Chris. It's like, well, I'm not really Chris. Greece or Greece, one or the other. I'm not really Greece, but you can call me Greece. I know who you're talking about. As long as you do it, you know, half decently respectful, uh, I'm going to respond to you. Um, but uh, I know, I know who, you know, I understand people, you know, people have different ways of pronouncing different names and different spellings, even. Uh, I get that. And that's, that's not a problem. I don't, you know, I don't get my nose out of joint because of it. I don't think God gets his nose out of joint because of it. Fearfully confident says, as someone gets attacked by Christians who lacks who lack Christ, I also call them Extians. Uh, how do you think we should best handle this? Um and someone gets a, gets attacked by Christians who lack Christ, so I call them Extians. How do you think we should handle uh, best handle this? Get, gets attacked by Christians who lack Christ. Um, some people you just can't, you know, you you can't talk to. They don't they don't have the capacity to to learn. They don't want to learn. Maybe they have the capacity, but they don't want to learn. So, or even to be corrected, they don't have the capacity to be, to be corrected. They they don't want to be corrected. You know, it says in Proverbs, you know, a you know wise man will will be corrected and will love it, whereas a fool hates correction. So, you know, some people, uh, I would say, you know, depending on the 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 situation, um. Some people, it's not even worth thinking about. Other people, it's worth talking to as long as they're humble enough to to listen and and to uh, consider what you're saying. Gina says, to say I'm Christian is such a broad statement. These days, I just say I'm a believer and a follower of Yeshua HaMashiach. That's good. Reminds me of years ago when I was at work and one of the new bosses came up to me and says, I heard you were a Christian. I'm like, well, depends on how you define Christian. There's a lot of people say Christian and they know it's completely different to what, you know, obviously completely different to what I believe in and, uh, you know, in practice. but. And he's like, well, believer? I'm like, well, 
Well, I said, I'm a knower. <laughs> I'm a knower. Yeah, one John says, or I'm a disciple of the same, a first century Christian or Torah keeper. Not serene Christian as well. Davy says um, some things in the word don't make sense to people because uh, most want it to be black and white, but a lot of it is spiritual. And, and this is a thing too. And I, the more and more as time goes on, I'm telling you guys um, some of the things that I've been, what's been happening to me behind the scenes, so to speak, you know, as I listen to some of these um, different content makers, let me put it that way. One thing I'm growing increasingly abhorrent of, and that is when people take, you know, they take a few passages from, you know, maybe one verse out of this book, one verse out of that book, a couple of verses out of that book, and string it all together and produce a whole doctrine out of it. And they interject all these other ideas into the scripture that it just does not say. If it doesn't say it, then I don't think we should say it. If it doesn't clearly say it, I heard one scholar say, if it doesn't clearly say it, it's inaccurate. I think that's a good that's a, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. If, if something is not clearly spoken, if something is not clearly written down, it's not really accurate. You think about it when you're reading gauges or something. Say you're reading meters or gauges or something. If it's not clear, it's not necessarily accurate. Tammy says, I'm truly asking questions in pure humility. Awesome, awesome. I have uh, studied as many books as I could study in the last three years. Truly just searching for truth. Awesome. We all are. We all are. All are. That's an awesome, awesome position for sure. Praise God. Tammy says, uh, why did uh, Yahuwah tell... Uh, Adam and Eve to replenish the earth. Replenish means fill again. Um, this is this is you know actually that was one of the um, that was one of the <laughs> when I went to that Bible school. This was like twenty five years ago when I went to that Bible school and I heard the teaching of this you know that. Genesis chapter, like just billions of years in between Genesis one one and Genesis one two, and and one of the, one of the things was talking about this, where it says when God said replenish the earth, replenish means it had to have been plenished before. Therefore, I'm and I'm sitting there thinking, what you are you are first of all, you're using an English word and you're butchering an English word, but that's not even the original language. The Hebrew word. Put it this way. I've heard someone say that um, 80% of the of the meaning is lost in translation. 80%. So we only get 20% of the actual meaning in the English. So like saying, um, let me just put it this way. Um, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to think of a way to put it to put it really good, because you see, like, okay, I'll show you guys what I'm doing here. 
So this, I believe this is the verse that you're referring to. It's Genesis chapter one, verse 28. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve. And, and uh, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Subdue it, have dominion over it. So this word replenish in the interlinear, okay, um, right here, mala, mala. So the first and primary meaning of it means to fill, fill the earth. It doesn't have any connotation of refilling the earth, but rather to fill it or to make it full. Not refilling it, to make it full. Okay. Um, to fill, to be full, to be filled, to accomplish, to satisfy, to complete. Um, to confirm, to be filled. So, once again, um, the King James translation, uh, I think, really did a, a, a bad job. <laughs> I think the translators did a bad job there. Uh, they should just say fill the earth or, you know, at least complete the earth or, you know, to fill it up, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth is what it should say. Um, just out of curiosity, let me see what it says in other translations. Okay, so <clears throat> just out of curiosity here, pull up the other translations. Okay, so the King James says replenish. Again, poor translation in my in my point of, in my um, opinion. Whereas the New King James, which usually just echoes the, the King James, replaces that word replenish with fill. Great. Awesome. NLT as well. Fill. Uh, NIV as well. Fill. ESV as well. Fill. CSB as well. Fill. NASB as well, fill. So it seems like almost all of the other Bible translators and all of the scholars and translators that they hired to do all these other translations agree that the word fulfill in the original King James is a very badly, badly translated translation, RSV, fill. This is the only one, ASV, and ASV is known to be like an echo chamber of the King James anyway. It says replenish, but the ILT is a uh, fill. Darby is a fill. Now, web again, web is a, um, is a translation that was copied from the ASV. Okay. The, uh, the authors, uh, I, I actually read the uh, four, uh, what do you call it? Um, oh, what do you call that? Like the, uh, I, I read the, uh, the the preface from the the translator of the WEB, and they said that they they copied everything over from the ASV, which which copied over from the King James. But yeah, as you can see, the the vast majority of uh, with the, with the, with a few exceptions, the vast majority of them say fill, um, and so that's really what that's really what it says there. It says fill, not to replenish. Very good. Thank you for pointing that out, Tammy. Will says, 
Speaking of the 6,000-year question, I came across an example where it says, are called by years. Griffin Confidence says, thank you, Christopher, for that answer on how to handle it. I've been struggling with it. And one John speaking to Tammy saying it's it says the word the world was made void. I'm not sure what translation that is. Uh, if if you look up all these different things in Strong's Concordance, the, the idea is there was a world before. Yeah, I, I have my actually. You know what? One John back in 1992, I actually one of the first things I did was I went through the Hebrew word by word in the Strong's and in the um, lexicon, especially in the Strong's and the Jacinius lexicon. And I actually translated. Here I was. I was an 18-year-old young boy that just got saved. I actually translated how many chapters of Genesis, starting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, so, so, so here again, like this is this is the King James version. Again, this is this is a version that I don't think is very very uh, very accurate at all. But just going with the King James version. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Again, I I understand that to be a subtitle, as you know, this is what happened in the beginning. Okay, then zoom in a little bit more. How how did it happen? Well, you know, basically when God first started creation, this is how it happened. The earth was without form, so God created a like a. I just think of it like a a big formless uh, the earth was without form and void it doesn't say that it was made void it just says that basically in the beginning this is how it began this is how it it all started um <clears throat> let me see what we have in different bible translations king james new king james and the earth was without form and void um uh, just gotta. Okay, it just says that the words in italics was added. Um, NLT: the earth was formless and empty. Yeah, and so this, you know, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The earth was without form and void, formless and empty, formless in a desolate emptiness. So it doesn't say. And again, in my from my point of view, it does not say that it was made that like that somehow because I, you know, I, I, this is what I heard too. This is what I heard in the Bible, in the Bible school. It's like, well, everything God created is perfect. So, so Genesis one, one, God created a perfect heaven and earth. And then Gen Genesis one, two, it seems like it was formless and void. So something happened in between there. No, <laughs> it's like, wait a second. It's like, is it not possible that Genesis one, one, is telling you that God is the creator. And then Genesis 1, 2 is telling you how it came about. Like when God created the earth, I don't think the earth just like within a, you know, a millionth of a second was just perfect. I think it, he took time to do it, just like how he took time in the seven day creation, however long those days were. He took time to do that. So in the beginning, how did the earth look? When it was first begin, when God first started the project, when He first started the project of creation, 
the earth was probably just like a ball of water or something because it, it explains it was water first and then the earth the land came out of it afterwards so it's probably just like a big blob of water that god created and he he formed it okay and then the land came out of it uh and so i heard again i heard right from right from the bible school itself literally i was there basically auditing the course and literally i'm i'm telling you this was in 1994 i believe it was 1994 and i'm sitting there going what in the world do you why how do you read so much into that what it doesn't say and it's like to me it's like basically saying it took time that's that's what genesis chapter 1 verse 2 all the way through to verse 31 okay the whole the whole thing from genesis 1 2 to, to genesis 1 31 is all about how god took time to create things so in the beginning before there was sun and the moon and the stars and the land and the trees and the plants, before there was anything, before earth was even a form, what did it look like? It was formless. Before it was populated by animals and humans, what, would, what did it look like? It was desolate. So in Genesis 1 2, I, I, I see how it was. It's an it's the, the the chronological explanation begins with Genesis one two to Genesis one thirty one. Again, Genesis one one is just like First Chronicles twenty one seven. It's it's basically it's making a statement. Boom! God created everything. Okay, so how did He do it? Give me a chronological, um, you know, step by step. How did well? First step was this. The earth was formless. It was it was it was desolate. There was nobody there. There was no there was no plants, no animals, no nothing. And then he he formed it. He brought the land out. You know, he made the stars and the sun, and and then you know he made the plants. So it tells us how he did that. Then Genesis uh, two, he he it, it zooms in on. Okay, let's talk about Adam and Eve now. How did that happen? So he makes a statement and then explains it and then takes the explanation and then takes from that and, and, and explains a detail of that explanation. That's, that's basically how I see it. And honestly, like, honestly, I, I really don't get, and I, 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 I heard the whole, I heard the whole thing about how there was a, there was a, there was like a, a pop, the earth was populated before, but it's like, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't say that at all. So like if the world was, po if the earth was populated before, if the earth was populated before Adam and Eve got, you know, arrived on the scene, then Explain how the earth was created. It, it would have to be that in the beginning, the earth was without form. It was formless and desolate. That's just, you, just, you have to say that at one point or another.
have to say that at one point or another. Either, you know, billions of years before Adam and Eve or the time of Adam and Eve, whatever the case is, it has to be so it has to be told. This is how it was created. Like you watch movie, you watch videos of how things are, you know, um made in a factory, for example. Right. So how do you make a glass jar? Well, the you know, first of all, it's formless. First of all, it comes in just as, you know, silica or, you know, it comes in as, you know, it comes in as, as, as the elements and then it has to be, you know, mounted down and it's formed and then it has to be formed into a jar. So Genesis 1-2 is the explanation about how God created, how God formed the earth from a formless blob of water before anything was ever on it. I mean, it's, I think it's due, if you want to talk, if Genesis chapter 1 is about the story of creation, if that's what it's about, then it owes us to tell us how God formed the earth out of nothing. How did God form the earth out of nothing? Well, first, there was a formless, formless, desolate, whatever you want to call it, blob, or whatever you want to call it. First, it was formless and desolate. It has to start that way no matter what. And then it goes from there. And God molds it day by day, molds it into what, what we have today. Okay, Will says, and when you have completed them, this is uh, Ezekiel 4, 6, lie on your right side, then you shall bear the iniquity of of the house of Judah 40 days, I have laid on you a day for each year. Very much. Yeah, that's very good. Just like how Yeshua, when he went to the wilderness for 40 days, it was like a day for each year of the, um, like the, the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, they went through the Red Sea, right? So they were kind of baptized, figuratively speaking, in the Red Sea. They went through the wilderness for 40 years, and then eventually at least their children went into the uh, the promised land. So in the same way, Yeshua went into the wilderness for 40 days and then went into the promised land. Yeah, so it's it's difficult to to say exactly what a day represents. Could like a day could be a year, like a day could be a year, a day could be a thousand years, or a day could be a whole lot longer than that. It's it's not measured. We don't have a measurement of the, the amount of time it took, especially the first three days. Yeah, David said. David says there's no way a man can survive millions of years. Uh, man can barely survive six thousand years. Is uh, man is too destructive to survive millions of years? Yeah, one John says to Tammy, um, watching for uh, Tammy's email. This is one of the very few things I don't agree with Christopher. No one's perfect. Yeah. yeah, the way I look at it, like again, the way I look at it is if it's, it just doesn't. In, I, I just don't see it. I don't. I, I, to me, it's 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 just adding a whole lot into what into it what it doesn't say. I think it's just the 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 writing style of Genesis. It's like that, right? It it always goes back into it, it makes a statement, then it goes back, right? So Genesis chapter one makes a statement. Basically, God's a creator. 
like the Jewish translation, which I think is the, I think probably the most accurate. When God created the heavens and the earth, is a really you know when God created the heavens and the earth, this is how He did it, uh, and then it goes through how it happened. Then in Genesis chapter two, it rehashes what happened with Adam and Eve, and got in and zoomed in a little bit more and got more detail, right? And then again in Genesis chapter five, it it rehashes it all over again too. So we see a pattern in the way that the author, if it's Moses or whoever authored Genesis chapter or Genesis in, in as a whole, the the author there's a pattern here. We got a statement, and then we got an explanation. Then we zoom in more. Then we got an explanation of that. Then we zoom in more. It's not chronological because it, with, with using that kind of logic. Then you, you can say, well, Genesis chapter five. So then there must have been another Adam created after the third, the second Adam. There must be another Adam because Genesis chapter five talks about a different Adam. Well, obviously, Genesis chapter five is rehashing again, going back again, back into it. Um, yeah. So Genesis chapter five goes all the way back again into the, the whole entire story of from Adam all the way through to, to actually Shem, Ham and Japheth. One thing I, do, I will say, though, when it comes to uh, so, uh, a race that existed before Adam and Eve, put it this way. In, uh, I will concede this much, though. On day six, uh, when, when uh, let, me just, let me just go back here. Yeah, just before God created man, we have God creating the animals, right? The animals of the earth after their kind. Um, so uh, it could be this. It could be. It could. It could mean this because in according to the Book of Enoch. According to the, some of the ancient documents that we have, uh, and according to the Peter's vision, you know we have different animals represented different Gentile nations. So you could say, I'm just saying, don't don't quote me on this. Okay, again, when it comes to these kind of things, I think we got to look at it with the most critical thinking mind ever. We got, I mean, we can't believe what man says. We can't believe what what we've heard through the through the through the grapevine. You got to read it and say, what does it say? What does it not say in its cultural context? Let's not read in, in into into it what it doesn't say. So, in when it comes to the animals, now we know culturally speaking, sometimes animals are referring to. Like the unclean animals, especially, uh, refer to Gentile nations. And we see it in the book of Enoch. We see that in Acts chapter 10. And we know that culturally speaking as well. I know back in the days, uh, the ancient days of scripture, a lot of people believed, or the Jewish people believed, you know, and in, in, in according to what they, their doctrine was, that there's only one person that's actually, there's only one race that's actually called people. That would be more or less the Jewish people that came through Adam and that way. So, um, but then we have the Gentile nations. So you might perhaps say, 
that, the, that some of the Gentile nations existed before Abraham or before Adam. If you want to interpret it that way. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm giving lots of room here. I'm saying could be, maybe not. Tammy says, can I jump to a new Testament question? Sure, Tammy. And I, I'm in the, uh, Lord willing, Lord willing, I am in the process of planning out two um, rebuttals of, of different doctrines. Now, one of them, and neither one is anything that we talked about tonight. But I've, I've been listening, there's, there's a few, there's a few content creators on the internet that put out doctrine that, as far as what, from what I see, is very, very, very off base, very far from the truth. And I see how it happens. And this is how it always happens. You start with, you start with a premise and then you, you, a lot of people, what they do is they build, let's say they, they go to one scripture over here, one scripture over there, one scripture over here. And, and when they, when they're interpreting scripture, when they're interpreting scripture, you got to be super, super careful not to veer off from the truth of what it actually says. And I've seen this happen again with, with these other two topics and Lord willing, I will record it and release it. And you'll know when it, when it comes out, you'll know it. It's going to be controversial. It's going to be very controversial because these two topics are controversial topics. Again, it's nothing that we were talking about tonight, but there are two topics and there are Christian leaders that preach these things. And I see how they do it. You got to be super, super careful. And I, I encourage every single one of you out there, you, you got to be super, super careful when you are when you are reading the scripture for yourself, when you are analyzing what's being taught, what's being said, what you need to do is make sure that you don't veer off. Because a lot of a lot of preachers, a lot of teachers, they they veer off a little bit. And all it takes is just a little bit, just a little bit off on one verse. And it just, it just, the, the error just, it snowballs. Okay. It goes into a, a <laughs> goes into a great big, you know, I've, uh, I've heard, I've never personally flown an airplane, but I've heard, especially if you're flying an airplane, you got the yoke. For those of you not sure, if you're not familiar with it, flying in like airplanes, a yoke is like a steering wheel. And if you just move it, like if you just pull it in or out, just like an eighth of an inch, an eighth of an inch, just a little bit, it, 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 it sends the airplane in, in a, you know, drastically different, um, you know, either up or down. It, 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 it sends the traje trajectory of the airplane way off in just an eighth of an eighth of an inch. So when you are listening to myself or whoever else, and, and you know other people that are on the internet talking, teaching, or your pastor or whatever it is, or even the people that have taught you in the past, you hear all these different things. You've got to you've got to pray that God would show you those little 
eighth of eighth inch, eighth of an inch when these people veer off. If they veer off, if they say something that the scriptures do not say, or if they interpret it in a way that is not clearly meant to be interpreted, and if they push it as 100% truth, be, be very careful because you can go way off. You can go way, uh, way, uh, way off from, from the truth. Okay, so Tammy, um, I mean, these, these, these questions, I know, uh, let me see here. How is Messiah the seed of David? Why is there different genealogy in Matthew and Luke? The word used for virgin is Alma in Hebrew and also means young woman. Yeah, very, very deep topic. This is one of these deep topics that deserves its own video. However, I'll tell you a little bit. Um, this is another thing, Tammy, that I have been... Actually, I have in the past maybe month behind the scenes, I've been looking into more of this, the genealogy between Matthew and Luke. For years, I have bought, I admit, I have bought into the whole thing of, well, Matthew is, you know, one of them is the gospel, one of them is the genealogy of Joseph, and the other one is, is the genealogy of Mary. That's it. That settles it. That, that, that explains it all. But the more, again, <laughs> the more I read it for what it actually says, the more I am convinced that it is a clear contradiction. It's not one, one Joseph, one Mary. It says very clearly they're both Joseph. And anybody that would say that one is Joseph and one is Mary, I have yet to see. I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing my words very carefully here. I, I have yet to see convincing evidence then that one is Mary because they both clearly say Joseph. And I've heard the explanations. I've heard all. The, to me, the explanations don't cut it anymore. I bought into it before and I've preached it before. I admit, but the more I look into it and the more I see now, and again, talking about discrepancies, talking about um, uh, contradictions, at this point in time, I will have to say that I concede it is a contradiction. And I'm okay with it because Matthew and Luke are both humans. And Wherever somebody, perhaps they're both wrong, but at least one of them are is wrong. Okay, one of them is wrong. Where wherever there's whatever they used, whoever they used, or whatever they used as a source was an in, uh, an inaccurate source. And I, you know, when when Luke wrote Luke and Matthew wrote Matthew, um. I don't believe they knew about the other. I don't think they knew. I don't think Matthew knew Luke or Luke knew Matthew. Because Tammy says, wouldn't Mary have been the talk of the town if she could, if she uh, convinced the people she was pregnant by the divine? He says, Gabriel came 
into Mary? Would Messiah not be Nephilim? Uh, well, it doesn't really say that Gabriel came into Mary. It says Gabriel, Gabriel came to Mary to make the announcement. Um, very good point, though. I mean, if if I've never seen or understood it to mean that the that Mary was pregnant by Gabriel. Um, but yes, I mean, if if that's the case, um, if Mary was pregnant by any angel, then it would be uh, the Messiah would not would be like like the Nef- Nephilim. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. So um, tomorrow night, I think I'm going to be talking about um, because Pesach is just right around the corner. We would have to talk about preparation for Pesach. And so tomorrow night, uh, Lord willing, I will be talking about that. I'm not sure how much of the scripture I will be getting in along with that, but we talked about preparation as well. And um, again, within the next few nights, I do want to honor uh, one John's request to go into the gospels and the, the um, comparison with the gospels. Now one, one John, just to, I just want to ask you a question there. You were talking about comparison the gospels uh, and you, you, you also asked about the calendar. Um, I, uh, just to be clear, um, are you speaking about more of like comparing the calendars be, in, um, uh, amongst the four Gospels or their calendar compared to our calendar? If you know what I mean, like we can compare Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, like the Last Supper and the, like the, the Passover and, and how that how that is uh, portrayed in you know in the, in the four gospels and how that could differ in regards to calendar uh or not differ um in regards to calendar or we can talk about the calendar as a whole um compared to our calendar um just wanted to ask you about that specific question Yeah, so one John says, uh, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Uh, therefore, the, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Tammy says the angel came in unto her. Okay, if it says in those words, it means different than came into her. (laughs) If it uses those words that came in unto her, mean basically just came in the room, basically. You know, that uh, Gabriel shows up in the room, basically, is what that means. Yeah, so one John is is, quoting that, and that's that's quite clear that that the angel actually made it clear that it was the Holy Spirit that is doing this, um, this thing. Okay. One John says that the gospel of John doesn't seem to jive and the three day, three night, three, three days in the tomb. Uh, can't get three days. I can get three days, but not three nights. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, we'll talk about that. Um, we'll talk about that stuff beforehand as well. Uh, perhaps the 14th or the 13th, maybe the 13th. Seeing that um, the Gospel of John puts puts Yeshua basically, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe on the maybe on Wednesday we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. Okay, guys, that's it for tonight. It's a little bit longer tonight. Uh, yeah, um, Tammy here quotes uh, references Luke one twenty eight, and yes, the King James says the angel came in unto her. Again, this is a different phrase as opposed to into her. Uh, and, and we see that the translation, the translators of the New King James catch that and they change it. Having come in, basically having come into the room, the angel said to her, in the in NLT, the angel appeared to her. And the angel went to her, in the NIV, came to her, uh, came to her. Yes. So that's, that's different terminology as opposed to came, you know, you know, went into her basically, as it would say in the Tanakh, different terminology. Thank you for your questions, Tammy. Great questions. Will says, I'd like to talk about the birth of our Messiah being around Sukkot. Wow. Okay. That's another interesting topic. Awesome. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap it up now. And so, Lord willing, tomorrow night, same time, same place. And we're going to talk uh, about preparation for Pesach, making sure everything is prepared. And we're going to talk about all that all that kind of stuff and uh, get some scriptures in as, as we can. And um, Wednesday... We'll do the uh, comparing of the Gospels and the timing of the of Pesach and the Passover, uh, the uh, crucifixion of of Yeshua and all that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's a it's a different week. It's a busy week. So, Lord willing, we'll do all this stuff. We'll get into it. When John says, "Thank you so much for your time and patience, blessing." Thank you very much as well, brother. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, tomorrow night, same time, same place, 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back here. And we'll continue when, when not continue where we left off. But we will if we have time. We'll get into the preparations of, of Pesach first. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of questions. And uh, we're going to have a great time of fellowship as always, guys. All right, guys. So as always, you guys are awesome. God bless you abundantly. Blessings multiplied to you guys. And I will see you tomorrow. As always, I pray the Lord bless everyone that's listening to me. Every one of you, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.